To get your free audio gift, The Three Pillars of Achieving Your Perfect Weight Using the Mind-Body Connection, go to healthymindfitbody.com and enter your first name and email address, and we'll send that to you right away. Welcome to the Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast. This is episode number 23. And I'm Kevin, and I've got Wes on the other line. Hey, Kev, how you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, we've also got a special guest that I want to introduce today. His name is Jimmy Moore, and we're really excited to have Jimmy on. In January 2004, Jimmy Moore made a decision to get rid of the weight that was literally killing him. At 32 years of age and 410 pounds, the time had come for a radical change of lifestyle. A year later, he had shed 180 pounds, shrunk his waist by 20 inches, and dropped his shirt size from 5XL to XL. After his dramatic weight loss, Jimmy was inundated with requests from friends, neighbors, and complete strangers seeking information and help. Jimmy is dedicated to helping as many people as possible to find the information they need to make the kind of lifestyle change he has made. To that end, he has started a blog and a number of websites to get the message of lifestyle change and healthy living out. And that can be found at livinlevitalowcarb.com. And his latest book is 21 Life Lessons from Livin' La Vida Low Carb, How the Healthy Low Carb Lifestyle Changed Everything I Thought I Knew, which can also be found on his website. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. What's going on? Great to have you on, Jimmy. Yeah, I yeah. you on my show recently, so uh, Turnabout is fair play. Indeed it is. I was wondering, <laughs> based right. on your uh, book title and website, if you get a lot of uh, readers and listeners from Mexico or Latin America. <laughs> you know, it's funny because sometimes people will write to me in Spanish from one of those, <laughs> one of those countries, and they'll be yeah. like, hola, Jimmy. And, and I'm like... <laughs> I know Spanish, but I don't write it that well. Yeah, uh-huh. kind of wing it there. It is pretty funny, and and people love the play on words with the Ricky Martin song. But you know, I think attracting attention is one of the first and foremost things with any site. You want to have a catchy title that will kind of capture their attention, and Live in La Vida Low Carb certainly does that, and uh, really puts the mission of everything that I do out there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great title. But you're not super close to the southern border, so I imagine your Spanish is probably uh, not the best, right? <laughs> I, I came across the border, and, and I don't don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> of course, Kevin and I are pretty close to Tijuana here, and uh, my Spanish consists of basically two word phrases. <laughs> yeah. Mas cerveza. Como está? Hola and adios. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do what I can to get by. That's basically it. Exactly. (laughs) So how's your foot doing, Jimmy? Oh, yeah. I I love to play volleyball. That's my exercise. That's what I do. And just like a madman at the age of 38 out there with kids in their teens playing volleyball. And I'm a tall guy. I'm six foot three. And I love to just get on the front row and block the heck out of spikes. Mm -hmm. I don't even like to spike. You would think a six foot three guy would love to spike, but I don't. I love blocking the shots. And I went up recently, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, jumped up, blocked the shot. But then I came right down. The guy's foot was on my side of the court, and I landed right on top of his foot. It went sideways Oof. and popped, and it, I fell to the ground. It is black as black can be right now. I'm in a lot of pain still, but uh, I guess I won't be playing volleyball for a little while. <laughs> Swelling happens pretty fast in that yeah. sort of circumstance, doesn't it? 
we iced it pretty fast, and it's uh, just going to have to heal. There's a big black bruise along the side, but uh, that's kind of the that's when you try to act like you're 18, but you're 38, and you realize it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, any crutches because of that? No, I'm just I'm just limping around, but uh, gotcha. I, I'll manage. I'll manage. Do the one yeah. hop hopscotch kinda, thing. Kind of bums me out though, because I love uh, I love jumping up and down and all the cardiovascular you know effects of playing volleyball. But oh well. Yeah, we get a lot of that here in San Diego, the beach volleyball. Are you indoors or beach? It's indoors. Um, I live about three hours from a beach, but uh, uh-huh. uh, and I have played beach. Uh, the sand makes it a lot more difficult to run on. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You get a good workout, especially like two on two or three on three. Exactly. A little more cushion though on the on your falls. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You thing. probably wouldn't twist your ankle playing beach volleyball. <laughs> right. Not as much. So what did you find in this whole weight loss journey? It's pretty amazing uh, that this is just five quick years, you know, but you've done a ton of podcasts and the book and so forth is just chock full of information. What did you find was the hardest part of your weight loss journey and what were the bad habits that you had to break as you came to this new realization that low carb was the way to go? The hardest part, I love that question because people are like, well, what, what made you start Low carb of all things. Uh-huh. The hardest part for me was getting over the fear of fat. Um, I think too many people, they start a weight loss program with preconceived conceptions about what they quote unquote need to do. And I think when I first started low carb, I really was skeptical about adding back in the fat when I took out the carbohydrate. And I think that's a fatal mistake that a lot of people make is, well, if low carb is good, then low carb and low fat must be better. And that was a hard thing for me. Yeah, I could cut my carbs and it was murder. As I wrote about in my first book, those first few days, I wanted to kill myself. I was (laughs) in such sugar withdrawal. I mean, you got to remember, here's a 410-pound man who was drinking 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day, downing two boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes a day, not to mention big plates of food. I mean, I was probably consuming upwards of four to 5,000 calories, most of which was carbohydrate a day. I mean, it, it was really bad. And I had to get over that fear of fat. I mean, fat was going to be the fuel for my body. I didn't realize it at the time. I I know it now. But at the time, it was like, okay, if I'm taking away the carbs, I need to replace those carbs with something. Mm -hmm. That made logical sense to me that I needed to replace the carbs. So I started eating more fat. And uh, that was probably the biggest challenge. But hey, once you start seeing that scale move and you start feeling better, 30 pounds the first month, 40 pounds the second month, I mean, it really motivates you and say, hey, I can eat this fat and still lose weight. Yeah, baby, bring it on. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I imagine it must have been harder for you cutting out carbs and adding fat because I read that you had uh, some success with the low-fat diet. Oh, I had great success with the low-fat diet in 1999, the same year, ironically, that my brother Kevin had uh, three straight heart attacks at the age of, I believe it was 32, the same age that I started low-carb, I went on a low-fat diet, pretty much no-fat diet with, I would say, 75% carbohydrate, about maybe 5% fat and the rest protein. I mean, it was was a very high-carb, 
no fat diet because that's what I had heard all these years was healthy. That's what you needed to do to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And the less fat, the better, it seemed like, what they were telling people. Yeah. Exactly. And so I'd go to the grocery store and I'd look for anything that said fat-free on the front. Uh, marshmallows, guys. Did you know this, Wes and Kevin, that marshmallows are naturally fat-free? Fat-free. no idea. <laughs> Amazing. And cholesterol-free. And yeah. cholesterol-free, exactly. So I'm stuffing my mouth with those kinds of things. And, uh, and I lost a lot of weight, 170 pounds. I lost wow. eating that way, wow. but the weight loss, oh my gosh, it was so miserable. My wife, Christine will tell you guys, I was not a fun guy to be living around on this low fat diet. Mm. Yeah. I looked better. I felt somewhat better simply because the weight was off. But as, uh, as a general lifestyle, I was like, if this is the way I have to eat for the rest of my life in order to feel good, to look good, and to be well, I'd rather be sick, fat, and feel better (laughs) because this was just miserable. I can only imagine the cravings you'd have when you encountered people with all those tasty, fatty substances around, the smell of those you know, gravies and yeah. fried foods and so forth. It's got to be just something else. Well, you know what made it easy for me is because I'm a sugarholic. Ah. I could eat carbohydrate, especially in the form of sugar, till it came out of my ears. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so successful on a low-fat diet is I was able to cut the fat. The fat really didn't matter to me at the time. I didn't think it did anyway. It was the sugar, and I felt like I had to have that sweet. I've been a sweetaholic my whole life, and that was, I think, what drove me to be able to be so successful on that. Uh, The problem was I couldn't make that permanent. I couldn't make it a lifestyle change, which is what I talk about so much with my work these days, is you've got to find a plan that not just will work for weight loss, because anybody can lose weight. It's can you keep it off? Can you do things that will become habits for the rest of your life? And that's not what a low-fat, high-carb diet was for me. Yeah, rather than just a a temporary means to a particular end that you just want to get down to this weight and then you go back to your old eating habits. So do you think that there are advantages and disadvantages to eating the the typical high-carb food substitutes like the low-carb grain products or the no-sugar sweets? Because I noticed in your interview with Dr. Kurt Harris, he was talking about preserving the carb culture in a sense through that process. Yes, smoking candy cigarettes. (laughs) Smoking candy (laughs) cigarettes, exactly. Which I can see his point. Um, It's almost as if we yearn for the days of chowing the carbs with reckless abandon, you know, and if we can just do it without the carbs, why not, right? You know, I I think that's that's one of the biggest, uh, I guess, controversies in the low-carb community is should you use these substitutes or should you not? I lean on the side of you should. And here's why. I think that a lot of people feel like when they start any kind of plan to lose weight, to get healthy, that they're going to have to deprive themselves. And if you feel deprivation, what are you going to do, Wes and Kevin? You're going to want those things that you're going to be deprived of. So if you can find an adequate substitute, and that's the key, a substitute that will give you the pleasure of having those things that you feel like you can't have anymore and you shouldn't have anymore, and you can find something that will replace those things that are healthier for you, what's the harm in that? I really don't see a downside in adding in 
um, a lower carb brownie. Sure. As long as yeah. it's made with quality ingredients. And that's the huge caveat. It's got to be quality ingredients. It's got to be things that will be healthy for you and not just more junk. Because what happened in 2004 or 2003, 2004, we had this huge low-carb grocery store revolution that happened. And all these companies tried to jump on the bandwagon and they made garbage. You know, yeah. they, they put flour and high fructose corn syrup and things in these quote-unquote low-carb foods. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real foods, making them into uh, things that will make your low-carb lifestyle pleasurable. Sure, yeah, exactly. to kind of treat yourself to the taste of that similar sort of way of eating, but not do it as you know your mainstay. Obviously, you're not going to get the same nutrients in that stuff as you would with your veggies, your fruits, your, your meats, your saturated fats, and so forth. Of course, right. Yeah, and, and I grew up eating dessert after every meal, lunch, dinner, and... After you ate all your vegetables, right, Kev? <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Whatever else, potatoes and all that. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, you start that habit early on in life, and it's, it's really hard to break out of. And I still have the cravings a little bit, like after I eat. But uh, I'll do something like hot chocolate with unsweetened hot chocolate and then put in stevia powder. Right. It tastes like a dessert. I mean, you w- I really don't know the difference. And there's no there's like 25 calories, I think, in the whole thing. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of workarounds there. Well, and for example, just last night I had, um, I love this peanut butter called Naturally More. Have y'all ever seen that? It's made with flaxseed oil and natural peanut butter. Mm, Sounds good. And I mixed a little heavy whipping cream in with it and then um, had that. And it was just like one tablespoon and a little bit of sweetener just to give it a little bit of sweetness. And oh my gosh, it was just so decadent. And, And you just find those kind of replacements to fill that need. And I think if you take that away and you say, no, don't you dare ever have that, I think people rebel and they'll go back, well, the heck with it all. I'll just go back to eating my old way of eating. And we're back to the same old obesity, diabetes, and rampant chronic disease that we're dealing with these days. I think we've got to give people an out. And the out is find adequate substitutions. Right, exactly. Now, what led you originally to the low-carb diet versus anything else out there? Yeah, it's funny because I had tried, obviously, low-fat in 1999, failed miserably on it. Despite being successful at losing weight, I say it failed miserably because it was not a permanent lifestyle change. And by the way, within four months of losing 170 pounds, I had gained back every bit of that weight because I so rebelled against having to eat that way. I was like, well... Uh, damn you, I'm not going to eat this way the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it wasn't really healthy for you either. I mean, you could lose weight on that sort of diet, but it's not actually healthy. You're not getting the fatty acids. My LDL came down, but so did my HDL and my trigs went through the roof. Although at the time, I didn't know what any of that meant. Uh, I just knew low LDL and low total cholesterol. Ooh, I'm doing something great for my body. I, in fact, I think my total cholesterol at one point had gotten down to one. 30. It was really low eating 75% carbs and uh, like zero fat. But I didn't realize at the time that wasn't very healthy for me. Uh, (laughs) So what led me to low carb? It's funny. My mother-in-law, she just drove me to just go crazy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, My (laughs) mother-in-law bought me Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution, ironically, in December of 2003 mother-in-laws are very good at dropping little hints for their son-in-laws, <laughs> uh, especially ones that are overweight and need to lose some weight. And she and the whole family have been kind of ragging me my whole life with their daughter to uh, to do something about my weight. So she said, 
why don't you try this Atkins diet? And I remember in 1999, people all thought that I had lost the 170 pounds on Atkins. And I was like, oh my gosh, nobody would ever go on that diet. It's such a, oh, that's such an unhealthy diet. So here I am five years later, six years later, taking a look at the very diet that I thought was unhealthy. And I started reading the book and I was just amazed at how simple it was. Mm-hmm. And how biologically it made sense. And it wasn't until I actually read the book that it all started to click for me. And a lot of people, they try to start low carb and they do it, what I call the media version of Atkins. They eat meat, eggs, and cheese all day and think, oh, I'll just shed the pounds. But you got to read the book. You got to know what you're doing yeah. or not going to be successful. And I think that's one of the reasons I was so successful is I was able to read the book, do it by the book, and then continue doing it after the weight loss was over. Yeah, throw in a dash of common sense along with it, right? Absolutely. And <laughs> and not just the common sense that, you know, keeping all those things that I've learned over the years in my head, I had to throw all that out the window, which is why the subtitle of my book is How the Healthy Low-Carb Lifestyle Changed Everything I Thought I Knew because I thought I knew how to be healthy. I thought I knew what it took to lose weight. I was a pro at it because fat was supposed to be bad for you. Cholesterol, high cholesterol was supposed to be unhealthy. And yet all those things that I thought I knew, Kevin and Wes, nope, I didn't know Jack. Yeah, and Atkins was actually a cardiologist of all things, and yet they malign his diet for being, you know, not heart healthy. And that's just amazing how they basically criticize his diet because, you know, it's just a fad. You're eating bacon and cheese and meat, and that's it, which is just part of the diet. Like they focused on the thing that was kind of fad related. And of course, they maligned the fact that it was promoting high fat, which was supposedly bad for you. But it's just a whole bunch of uh, misinformation and perhaps even disinformation given to people uh, by so-called experts. And the proof is in the pudding, right? I would think that the main issue to determine heart health and longevity issues and so forth is to look at blood readings, right? Do you think that's probably the best way to determine this? Other than getting down to your optimal weight, of course, and eating you know, the nutritious foods, Uh, what sort of blood test would you recommend for people starting out to try to get a baseline of where they are in terms of their healthiness? Yeah, most people, myself included, were clueless about, you know, what it was that needed to be looked at. You know, Mm -hmm. I think they know LDL cholesterol is bad. Total cholesterol is bad if it's high. Uh, You've got to lower, and we see all these statin drug commercials out there that are so nauseating. I know they freak you guys out too. It's like, Go lower. And it's like, why? (laughs) Are you explaining why? And you never hear them talk about triglycerides needing to go lower. Mm -hmm. Uh, You never talk about HDL needing to go higher. You know, we always see these things that are really irrelevant to health. So I think educating people that what they've heard on television commercials and all these things, forget about it. Mm -hmm. Throw it out of your mind. Let's start fresh. Let's try to educate people on what the real deal is, and that is your triglycerides need to be below 100. Your HDL needs to be above 50. Your LDL really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean anything. It's the particle size of that LDL. 
And one of the tests that I promote, getting to your question, is the NMR lipoprofile test or the VAP test. Either one of those are very good tests for measuring LDL particle number and LDL particle size. Now, there's also controversy about which one's more important. Mm-hmm. I lean on the size aspect of it because I think if you've got predominantly the large fluffy kind, those can't penetrate the arterial wall. Uh, it's the small dense LDL that you want to avoid. Sure. And I know this is probably over the head of a lot of people that don't even know what LDL, HDL, and triglycerides are, but that would be a good baseline test. Find out where you stand. It looks to be around $100. If You, you can go online and there's various websites to actually schedule tests, pay for tests, right. and then you go into a lab to get your blood drawn. Yeah, simple blood draw, and they spin it, and within a, a week or two, you get that. Another one we were talking about before we came on the air is a vitamin D. I think this is one that's really starting to catch on, and there's a great organization. I believe it's called Grassroots Health that offers for $40. They'll test your vitamin D level in your blood, and we have woefully inept vitamin D in this mm-hmm. country. Uh, even yes. people uh, that live in areas like uh, San Diego, like you guys do, um, yep. you know, it's a problem. And it's, yes. it's something that must be addressed with not just more sun exposure, but also with some supplementation and vitamin D3 gel caps. I know Dr. William Davis from the HeartScan blog you know, talks about this quite a bit, that you really should supplement and get that vitamin D level up there. And I'll tell you a story about my own wife with vitamin D. Uh, Christine had a measurement of nine. Wow. Which, if you don't know what that means, that's Mm. woefully, woefully inadequate vitamin D levels. The conventional wisdom says have it at least 40, and hers was nine. I mean, it was pathetic. So we put her on 10,000 IU of vitamin D3 for a period uh, for pretty much all of last year. That measurement came in around February last year. And in December, we decided, let's see where she is after taking. uh, And she wasn't faithful about it every single day, but I made her do it most every day, the 10,000 IU. And within uh, like 10 months or so, it went from 9 to 52. 52. I was wow. going to guess 70, but 52 is good too. Yeah. yeah. Now, for me, I had 42 back when I had it measured in 2008. And within six months, it went from 42 to 68, taking 10,000 IU a day. So then I backed down my vitamin D3 intake to around 4,000 a day. And mine actually fell from 68 back down to 50. So now I've raised it back up again. And that's the thing. You've got to find the level that you need to get it in the range that you need. And most people say if you can get it between you know 50 and 70, you're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I guess it's just not feasible for a lot of people to get the sunlight that they need. That's right. To produce the vitamin D. That's right. So supplementing becomes necessary. Absolutely. But I know that there are a battery of tests that I, I think would be beneficial to people to have done. Mm-hmm. Certainly, if you go to have a physical, get everything done that you can. At least see where you are at baseline. And then once you're living La Vida Low Carb for a little while and you're taking all these proactive measures for your health, then have those same tests all run again and see how you've improved because you will improve. Yes. The AB design yeah. study, right? <laughs> yeah. And then maybe yeah. AB, AB. There's another one that's intriguing called the arachidonic acid to EPA ratio test, mm-hmm. which measures your silent inflammation profile, which uh, Dr. Barry Sears talks about a lot too. And uh, of course, that is going to be a much better 
indicator of what's going on when you eat low-carb diet, you're going to be reducing that level of inflammation right? because all those carbs are generating all that insulin and the cascade of bad hormones resulting from that causes just a lot of low-level inflammation that most people aren't aware of, but it does take a toll on people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Jimmy, since you started going low-carb, what else have you discovered along the way in terms of uh, just nutrition and healthy eating? Oh, do you have all day? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, th- there are just a myriad of topics that I just had no clue about. You know, the lipid one was really a big one. Another one is blood sugar and insulin. I think most people, unless they're diabetic, they don't know what those things are. It's not on their radar screen to even care. Mm-hmm. Um because, oh, insulin, oh, okay, as soon as I hear insulin, oh, that's a, that's a diabetic problem, so I don't need to worry about it. And yet, I think if more people concern themselves with what was raising their blood sugar, what was raising their insulin levels, we wouldn't have the level of heart disease and the level of diabetes and obesity that we have. And I think educating people that you really should be testing your blood sugar, even if you're not a diabetic. I mean, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. You can go down to Walmart right now and buy a blood testing meter for 20 bucks. 10 bucks actually. They have a rely on tester for 10 bucks. Oh, that's right. The rely on. Yeah, I, I love those guys. They have a great A1C, which is another test uh, that people should be doing. Absolutely. I saw that. You mentioned that in your book. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. did a YouTube video about that too. And it's, it's so super easy to, you know, give them a little blood on a little splotch on a paper thing. You mail it in and within a couple of weeks, you get your A1C results. Which by the way, is your test uh, like a three month average of the amount of sugar that's been in your bloodstream as it's attached to the hemoglobin molecule. That's so right. it definitely gives you an indication of what your blood sugar levels have been over the last three months. And I think uh, Gary Taubes did a great job of kind of connecting this whole carbohydrates lead to higher blood sugar, which leads to higher insulin levels, which has led us down this path to chronic illness. That, in a nutshell, is the very crux of what I've learned. The most important thing I've learned over the past five, six years of doing this is you've got to know where you stand. <laughs> yeah. And if you're eating too many carbohydrates, and especially if you're a diabetic, even the healthy whole grain carbohydrates, you've got to be careful. You've got to know what's making you sick. And until you figure out what's making you sick, we can talk to her all blue in the face about A1C tests and blood sugar and, and insulin. We could talk about those things, but until you realize what's causing that to happen, nothing's going to really improve about your weight or health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I suppose that sort of information that you have has enabled you to stay on track, right? Uh, have you experienced any slip-ups in your process? Oh, definitely. And I'd, I'd be foolish to sit here and try to be all braggadocious and say, oh, yes, I've figured it all out. I am the king of the world. <laughs> I, I know more than you do, and, and you don't. You know, the thing is that even though we know the basics, there are always complexities that I think people forget when it comes to weight management, when it comes to health management. Um, And quite frankly, I've been very honest about it in my own life. I have gained back some of the weight that I lost, um, and I'm not proud of it. And there are things that have happened uh, that I think have contributed to it outside the realm of diet. Mm -hmm. 
diet alone is definitely the great first response. And I think most people that are dealing with a weight issue, if you get your diet right, then most everything else will fall into place. But sometimes issues will come up. And for me, I'm still trying to figure out what those issues are. Uh, and I'm not afraid to say, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it can be frustrating and yet you continue on. That's the thing that I think happens to a lot of people is they go through a rough time where they're having trouble, they're stalled out, they're even gaining, and they're not knowing why it's happening. And they just say, well, the heck with this. I'm just not going to do anything. And that's the wrong response. I think the right response is keep doing what you know works and uh, keep a look on your health. Is your health still in order? If your health's in order, then why worry about a few extra pounds on your body? Sure. Keep dedicated and persevere, basically. Right. Exactly. Uh, Do you incorporate an exercise program as well? Yeah. As I was telling you before we came on the air, I love playing volleyball, and that's probably my main source of exercise. Now, when I first started on low-carb, I was an exercise maniac. I mean, I wanted, and that was another one of those old things that I, quote-unquote, knew that I needed to do. And I thought cardiovascular exercise, oh, we see it on The Biggest Loser. Everybody and their mama watches those people, you know, walk on the treadmill every week. So obviously that's doing something for weight loss. And so I did. I walked on the treadmill. I remember the first day I ever got on a treadmill in the gym, (laughs) I think I went about three miles an hour and for 15 minutes. And by the end of that 15 minutes, I was drenched in sweat. I was just like so out of breath. It, it was so funny because, uh, you know, just six months later, I was going, you know, about six or seven miles an hour running a quick jog on, on the treadmill for like an hour. And it was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so baby steps, you know, do those things that will get you there and you will get to a level where you enjoy it. Now, one of the things that I've uh, lamented about my own journey is the lack of being able to get into a physical weightlifting program. I have tried it. I've done it for a little while. And I personally just can't get into and get motivated to do that. I I want to, uh, and I feel stronger when I'm doing it, but there's just something about it that just it and Jimmy Moore don't kind of match up yet. <laughs> and, and maybe I'm just yeah. not, maybe I just don't have the right trainer yet. Maybe it's just some uh, mechanism in my head that's saying, ew, this is bad, but I, I'm, I'm viewing it the same way I did, you know, low carb. I'm trying to get over those feelings of negativity to make it work, but I just, I haven't found that right recipe yet with the weightlifting. Yeah, I know here in San Diego, the 24-Hour Fitnesses, they put in a bunch of new equipment called Hoist. It's the brand, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, kind of a Rube Goldberg contraption because when you lift the weight, it actually raises your seat up and down, things like that. (laughs) You use your weight as part of the resistance process. Um, Right. But they really feel good. I mean, they really do well isolating various muscle groups and so forth. So I'd recommend for anyone that's starting out with the weight training stuff, just to start with machines first. Don't have to throw around the dumbbells or the barbells or things like that. You can work into that stuff later on. But just kind of going through those motions and doing some resistance on those machines is is still helpful. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and I started doing, uh, like maybe a couple of years ago, Tim Ferriss of the 4-Hour Workweek fame. He recommends doing this routine that takes about 20 to 25 minutes and you do it every four or five days. 
And that's all you have to do. And it's like you get amazing results. And I, I do kind of a variation of that because I'm not a huge fan of going to the gym and pumping iron and stuff too. So it's a great thing when you're busy. Just doing that is a huge, I mean, that's a great workout and get a lot out of it. Yeah, that would be the super slow routine, right, Kev? Super slow, yeah, yeah. it's super slow. At least 10-second repetitions, yeah. Yeah, I've interviewed a couple of people uh, on this show before, on my podcast show before, um, Fred Hahn from the Slow Burn Fitness Revolution and Dr. Doug McGuff, nice. uh, who also has written a, a super slow book. So, yeah, I just need somebody to really kick me in the butt and make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good workout partner. <laughs> Yeah, a spotter exactly. that helps too. Yeah, it it's definitely a painful way to go, the super slow. It's short, but it's painful. Let's put it that yeah. way. Short and sweet. But it is very handy. Yeah. So a few days ago, or maybe last week, you had put up a blog post about the Whole Foods latest diet recommendation of a <laughs> low-fat vegetarian diet. And uh, Wes and I were both pretty much up in arms about that as much as you were. Uh, now, how much do you think that was influenced by the now infamous China study? Totally, totally was. Um, and the guy that they got to kind of uh, head this whole marketing campaign, Dr. Joel Furman, I've had uh, run-ins with ever since I started my blog. Um, him personally and the person behind his blog, uh, Gerald Pugliese, I think is his name. And those guys have just been out there running Dr. Atkins' name through the mud. They've really bashed anything that talks about meat, you know, and, and then they try to hide behind this, well, Dr. Furman doesn't really believe in a vegetarian diet. He he says uh, a, a little meat should be in the diet, but it should be used like a condiment and not as the main course and blah, blah, blah. It, it's just more of the same nonsense. And yeah, for people who haven't seen that post that I wrote, you know, there's pictures of like radical vegetarian books like the China study that are prominently displayed in and throughout Whole Foods stores. Now, apparently it hasn't reached all of Whole Foods stores because I've had some readers say they went to their local store and they haven't seen this yet. But it's coming, people. They're really trying to put it out there, this radical message of you must eat vegetarian, low fat if you want to be healthy. And I just think that's criminal. Yeah, it really is a bad message to send. And I'm just wondering where they're getting their information. You know, they're not really being objective, obviously, because if you start digging a little bit into this stuff, you can find out what the actual truth is, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's controversies like that, right? The big stuff, the big picture stuff. But there's also some controversy within the low-carb community, perhaps. Um, do you think that there's much more commonality in the realm of people that are promoting the low-carb way of life? Or do you see some variation? Because I guess... One of the major differences that we saw, we noticed, pertained to your interview with Brian Peskin about the mm. omega-3 fatty acids. In December 2009, you interviewed him about the topic of low-carb. He's all low-carb, I guess. He's definitely on board with that. But he also said that people are getting way too many omega-3 fatty acids, and there's a huge imbalance there. And what he was focusing on was, I guess, inside the cell, the particular ratio there needs to be higher in omega-6. So he was promoting more like sunflower oil and omega-6 fatty acids. There was a, an adjective he used to describe those types because he, he said most of the vegetables aren't actually the pure kind, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember myself, but just to kind of talk about him, he's the only one in the low-carb community that I hear espousing this. Oh, what was it? Parent uh, essential oils, I think is what he called them. Parent. That was the adjective yeah, he yeah, used. Yeah, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's the only one that I hear that we need to have a higher ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. I know he's not a fan of fish oil. He has a whole thing on his website. You know, I mean, people are always going to have their disagreements. I also recently had Dr. Michael Aziz, who wrote this book called The Perfect 10 Diet. And I don't know if you've seen him on television, but he is espousing the great benefits of saturated fat. I mean, yeah, all right. We got somebody <laughs> out here saying yeah. butter is healthy. But then at the same breath, in the same book, he says, but red meat is unhealthy. It's carcinogenic. <laughs> and I'm going, really? Huh? <laughs> so it's like you're always going to have people that get parts of it. Yeah, just like Barry Sears shies away from saturated fat too. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. And I adore Barry Sears. I think he is dead on with the inflammation issue. I think he is right about a lot of things. And yet sometimes you just go, why do you believe this, but you don't believe this? And mm-hmm. I think that's what's beautiful, though, about the low-carb community is although we don't all agree, I think we all agree carbohydrates as a main source of macronutrients, bad. That really not so bad. Cholesterol, it's not what we think it is. I think those are the things that kind of keep us together. And I know the the Paleolithic community and the low-carb community are sometimes at odds as well. Even though we're on the same parallel path, sometimes we take, you know, different turns along the way. But I think that's the beautiful part of this community is while we disagree on minors, the majors we are dead set on. Mm -hmm. The essentials. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's important to focus on those as well as the research to look at the actual studies and to try to tease out what exactly the truth is because the truth will be revealed at some point. We'll discover exactly where this all shapes up in the non-essential or the lesser details perhaps. Yep. Yeah, and and sometimes I think it might be that some people out there are trying to cater to the audience whereas something like saturated fats, it doesn't sound like a good thing. So why spend a lot of time researching it if everybody's going to reject it? You know, might as well just go with the mainstream and say, well, saturated fats are bad. Yeah. And and that's a whole uh, part of that. And I wrote a blog post about this, that group think that has really taken over in that realm of, well, we all know this is true. So therefore, it must be true, even if it's not backed by any evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I just want to congratulate you on the publication of your book, 21 Life Lessons, How the Healthy Low-Carb Lifestyle Changed Everything I Thought I Knew. It's just chock full of information. I encourage everyone to check that out. Yeah, it's a great read. It's around 370 pages. You really uh, delved into this stuff. Well, and that's the PDF uh, version of it. Actually, the print copy is almost 500 pages. Holy smokes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's lots of bedtime reading for folks, definitely. Yes, yes. But yeah. I wanted I wanted people to know, and the book is full of references to studies, a lot of information uh, that I talk about on my blog. But it also includes some personal stories, and that's why I call it life lessons, because it's not just lessons about diet and health. I learned a lot of things about life that I wanted to share in the book. You know, there's just so much going on out there. That people think, oh, it's just weight loss and nothing else. But no, this really is a total life change. And I write about some of the things, being able to be in a movie with George Clooney. That was really yeah, cool. I saw that. That was interesting. Uh, <laughs> being scammed into uh, believing a, you know, a shyster on the internet. Just those kinds of things are real life. And I wanted people to know. And the very final chapter, I talk about the death of my brother, Kevin, at the age of 41. Uh, It's not always pleasant. Life isn't. 
and yet you can still learn lessons from even those unpleasant experiences, and that's what I wanted to share in my book. Yeah, it's really great stuff. I love your blog, too, so just Thank to you. say that one more time. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your vast wisdom on this subject. I'm sure we'll connect again in the future sometime. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. That was really educational and fun. Absolutely, guys. And I'm uh, happy to be able to be walking alongside uh, Wes and Kevin as, uh, as we try to share the truth with people because that's what it really is all about. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That wraps it up. Thanks again, Jimmy. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. So that was our interview with Jimmy Moore. That was great, wasn't it, Kev? Yeah, that was an awesome interview. I, I was learning a ton on that. We could have gone on for hours and hours, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It just shows you how there's so much information out there that people need to know. Once again, our 10-minute podcast uh, <laughs> blew up to, uh, I don't know, what we got, 45, 40 minutes or something like that. Yeah, well, we were shooting for 30, so we weren't too far off. But Yeah. Yeah. And so if you like this show and you want to hear more interviews, feel free to comment in the show notes. After the show notes, there's comments uh, on our website, healthymindfitbody.com. And you can comment in the blogs too. We write blogs on occasion uh, about different subjects related to this and psychological related issues too, um, which is all basically focused around our book, Healthy Mind Fit Body, which takes into account the three pillars which we talk about in the free audio you can download from our website just put in your name first name and email address and we'll get that to you and you can listen to the perspective that we have on health and nutrition because as jimmy mentioned it is more than just the nutritional information you know it's the mindset it's the determination it's the motivation and it's your emotions you know what are the conflicts in your life what are the conflicts inside yourself on a subconscious level, your thoughts and feelings about how you're relating to food, how you know your way of eating relates to other people in your life and, and their way of eating. All these things are factored into this equation that equals your life you know, and your optimal life. Yeah, and it's the sugar-free chocolate mm-hmm. and the calorie-free donuts. Calorie-free donuts. <laughs> We're still looking for those, actually. Yeah. If anybody knows. It's our quest, Kev. It's like the Holy Grail is what we're looking for there. <laughs> That's right. the calorie-free That's donuts. Right. If we find them, we're going to sell them. And they're, of course, laden with antioxidants and phytonutrients yep. and all kinds Everything. of goodies. They're the Holy Grail of food substances. That's right. That's right. And we'll make millions selling them. <laughs> oh, of course. To our great audience. Healthy Mind Fit Body so. Donuts. yeah so if you like this show and you have something to say give us a comment we have an itunes link a link to our itunes show in the show notes and you can give us a rating and a comment that would be greatly appreciated and we have got some exciting interviews coming up in the next few months so stay tuned absolutely so we'll talk to you all next week thanks for listening guys it's all